Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 289, Arrows and Doorways, Sunday, November 21st, 2021. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me as Sarah Pomegranate on social media. Each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Yarns at Yin Hu now has new hosting from InMotion and hopefully fewer problems and setbacks. Funding for this podcast comes from listeners when they purchase my knitting patterns on Ravelry. My latest design will be out when you hear this podcast. It's a design for a colorwork cowl, and the name I've decided on after a lot of deliberation is Arrows and Doorways. It's a colorwork cowl. It's super thick and cozy. It's designed to be knit with small bits of leftover yarn. It would be a great choice to use Advent minis or to knit in the month of December as an Advent project. And it features a very clever grafting technique that I will wager is new to most knitters. Probably the best way to get all the details in is to read you the copy on the draft of my pattern. The design for this super cozy cowl was inspired by textiles in a hotel lobby. Concentric geometric shapes kept playing in my mind until finally I was able to chart the pattern and get it on my needles. The interplay of this chevron-like patterning has a mesmerizing effect while you're knitting and when you wear the finished accessory. Knit up a cowl with yarn from your stash and add some magical new mini skeins from your advent calendar or exchange leftover yarn with a friend. The design invites frequent color changes and makes an ideal knit for the advent season. It could be just as striking knit with two high contrast colors. While most cowls of this type are seamed within a band of a single color, this pattern introduces a technique called stranded donut grafting, an incredibly clever and completely seamless graft that allows you to maintain color work patterning so that your starting and ending rounds are undetectable. Really. With stranded color work and a new technique to add to your skill set, this cowl pattern is really an opportunity for knitters to level up. I have a few notes about this pattern and its availability. Like I said, when you're able to hear this podcast, you will be able to purchase the pattern on Ravelry. The pattern contains links to a very comprehensive video tutorial that has been created by Ellen Silva, Twinset Ellen. She has been my trusted tech editor over several patterns. Ellen notified me a while back that she is moving on to spend more time with other interests and obsessions in her life and closing that chapter of working as a tech editor, but invited me to 
throw one more project at her as a kind of goodbye. And I didn't have my design for a shawl ready. It's still not ready. (laughs) But I had become obsessed with this color work design that I saw in Saratoga Springs. And I asked her about it and said, you know, the problem is, and these, now that I understand a little bit better Ellen's process, I think the triggering words were, the problem I'm having is I want the graph to be seamless and I don't know how to work a graph in color work. And I think that set the wheels turning and beyond any of my expectations. Ellen has created this video tutorial as well as a document containing a written tutorial of how to complete the graft with photographs. So all of those materials will be included or referenced in the pattern for arrows and doorways. My last several patterns have been offered on Ravelry with tiered pricing, and I'm going to use that same structure with this pattern because I believe that patterns should be accessible and you should be able to pay the amount that works for you to knit the design. So I price my design at $8 because I believe That is the price that is consistent with the time and effort and quality that I put into this design. And then I have discount codes listed in the Ravelry description so that you could pay two, four, or six dollars for this pattern if you choose. And what I do is I keep that pricing in place until I release my next design. So if that's interesting to you, I hope that you will take me up on that offer. In my last episode, I began a contest to win a free copy of this design and one for a knitting friend. I asked folks to write a comment or a post regarding when they have felt very clever in their knitting. And the winner, Indigo Night Owl, commented on Instagram, I felt clever when I learned brioche. In my early days, it was thumb gussets and cables. So congratulations, Indigo Night Owl. And Indigo Night Owl tagged Brianna Thompson in her post. So Brianna, you are also a winner. I'm pretty sure I have all of your Ravelry information. So I will be gifting those patterns to you through Ravelry. Thank you everyone who sent comments and made posts to my Instagram. It's really great to hear from listeners and to hear about all of the different ways that you have felt clever in your knitting. There was a lot of talk about color work and steaks and things like that. So what that says to me is that Yarns at Yenhu listeners are pretty accomplished knitters And I hope that means you are ready to level up with this new grafting technique. I wanted to dig in a little bit to the idea of leveling up and taking on challenges and also just 
provide a little background for this stranded donut grafting technique of Ellen's. So I asked her if she would record an interview with me for my podcast, and we did that a week ago. We had a lively Zoom call, and I'm very eager to share that interview with you now. A little background about Ellen Silva is that she has been the co-host of the Twin Set Designs podcast with her sister, Jan. She has been a resident of the Midwest and now lives in the Pacific Northwest. And she's done a range of tech editing as well as putting out her own designs. What I admire about Ellen is that she is endlessly instructive. You could think you're engaging in the most casual conversation and you will walk away having learned something. She is through and through a teacher. Uh, She doesn't have a classroom formally, but I think the world of knitting and design and problem solving is her classroom. I have learned so much as I've employed her services as a tech editor I've learned about my process, myself, I've become a better knitter and a lot better and more clear at getting my ideas across to others. So I'm really going to miss this collaboration, but I'm not going to think about that now. I'm just going to celebrate the work that we've done together on this particular design. I'm pretty sure we talk about this design being called Christmas in July, which was the working title for the design, and I have since changed it to Arrows and Doorways. And Ellen also mentions Kirsten Kapoor's design, a brioche hat design, and she doesn't remember the name in the interview, but it is Waiting to Flower, and I will link that, of course, in the show notes. Welcome, Ellen. It's so good to have you on the Yarns at Yenhu podcast. Oh, Sarah, it's great to be here. I love hearing your voice in my head every few weeks and hearing it in my head and getting to respond is an extra treat. Our recent collaboration is on the stranded donut grafting that is included in a new cowl pattern of mine. And I'm so grateful that you were able to come through with some really technical information for knitters. I think it will take knitting next level, but I want to get behind the scenes a little bit about this process in particular and in general leveling up with knitting. So can you talk a little bit about stranded donut grafting and your process in putting together the materials that knitters will see in this pattern? Oh, sure. I'd love to. It was really, really fun to work on that with you. It, um, A, getting to work with a friend is always fun, but there's also a real joy in having a problem that is a little bit hard but not so hard that it's completely intractable. You know, I think they say that's what makes a really good job. If you have a job that you have tough problems, but you can feel like you're making progress. And 
there were several iterations of that stranded donut grafting and each one got a little closer and a little closer until we finally got one that I think is pretty workable. It probably still has some little flaws in it that somebody else can solve, <laughs> but it was really fun to work on it. I think of myself as a scientist sometimes and an engineer sometimes. And in this problem, I kind of started it scientifically thinking about how the knitting is formed and you know, knowing that I could experiment a little bit. But ultimately, I think I was really an engineer because I applied science that other people had created. One of the challenges with grafting Fair Isle is that when you release live stitches in Fair Isle, you get stitches of different colors. Therefore, their legs are not contiguous. Stitch A, if it's color blue, and then stitch B is color red, well, that blue leg might reach over two or three more stitches before it continues. And you have a real mess of legs and crossing yarns at the bottom. And it makes it really tough to graft into those stitches. That's what took me to the chimney idea that, oh, we need some waste yarn holding all those legs in place. And then we can graft through them. Lucy Neatby has a wonderful method for grafting the tips of socks. If you're not an experienced grafter, and she calls them sock chimneys. She adds waste yarn to the tip of the toe and then you turn it inside the toe and you can graft right across the waste yarn and see exactly where you're going. And I thought that would be really helpful in grafting a fair isle tube. Well, then I figured out that if I just knit some waste yarn and started knitting from that, how would I get that waste yarn out of the cowl after I grafted it all together? <laughs> We wanted it all to be uh, completely seamless and no bulk added. And so then I had to solve that problem. So one after another, I just solved one problem and then the next problem and then the next problem. And then we had prototype knitters, aka test knitters, who discovered a couple other little tweaks. And that's when I figured out that how you pick up the live stitches really affects whether you can easily and completely unravel a strand. So that's the process really, starting with one problem and moving to the next and moving to the next. And finally you have something that's satisfying. Yes, I think so. And I think that um, your little video, even though it's so short in comparison with the grafting video, your little video about what can go wrong when you twist stitches on a provisional cast on, I think that's going to help knitters <laughs> in a lot of situations. I'll tell you what, I hadn't figured that out until we did that. And I heard somebody, oh, I heard Stephanie Pearl McPhee reference it in one of her Patreon videos. She talked about how ribbing won't unravel. And I think that's part of the reason why I think they're related, that that situation. But that's the first time I'd really heard somebody talk about that. And we had already resolved that in, in our work together. So that was pretty satisfying to figure that out. Sometimes when I do a crocheted cast on, it would pull out slick as a whistle and sometimes it wouldn't. <laughs> and I think that's because I probably wrapped the yarn the wrong way on one stitch and then created that little knot. So mm -hmm. yeah, that was really fun. And I like what you said about, well, I don't think you use these exact words, but in my line of work in working with gifted and talented children, 
we're always looking for the appropriate level of challenge. We, there's just this feeling that in school, if students have just enough challenge that they feel like they have something to go for, that it keeps them happy, it keeps them moving forward, it keeps them feeling good about their accomplishments. And so finding that space in our knitting, I think is a good, a good way to um, use knitting for mental health even, because sometimes oh. there might be a tendency to have like really easy things. You know, this is so relaxing because it's easy, but then it could be a little boring. Yeah, I think different different challenges for different times of day and different situations too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's certainly true for adults in their work. They need, I think most adults need to feel like they're working on something just tough enough so they can prove themselves, so they can show that they're really good at something, not just doing the same old, same old, and you feel less valued that way, I think. In working with taking on challenges, it's my theory that you have had the experience of feeling very accomplished at times in your knitting. Because I I feel it's like, you know, if you've done it once and taken on a challenge, it fuels you to feel like I could do this again. So what is a time when you felt really accomplished in your knitting? Two times popped into my head when you asked me that question via email. The first one was a time where not only some skillful knitting, but some real emotion for the person who was receiving that knitting came into play. Um, I had spun some lace weight yarn from bison down, 100% bison down. And it was a joy to spin. I learned to spin bison from Judith McKenzie and you know, the yarn was a joy. And I knit a beautiful little cowl for my sister-in-law and she received it delightedly and had taken it with her on a trip through Scotland and told me how she wore it and et cetera, et cetera. And one family vacation when we were together in person, she's a long distance sister-in-law, so I didn't see her that often, but we were together in person and she came to me and she looked, she just looked kind of scared and she brought forward the cowl and she said, can you fix this? One of her dogs had snatched the cowl off the table and in like five seconds had gashed, uh, just a gash through one of the lace repeats, just a huge, you know, quite a big gash. And luckily I had more of that yarn left, but the repair was something else. The repair was row after row of anchoring a yarn and re-knitting the lace pattern and weaving it in and grafting. And it took me several days of concentrated work, but at the end, it really was a good repair. You couldn't see it from the outside. And her reaction in receiving it was so, so gratifying. So it just combined everything, the tough challenge, the solve one problem, solve another problem, great result and an emotional result. So that, that was, I just felt so good about that accomplishment. Oh, that sounds beautiful. It's almost like she got the gift twice. 
<laughs> it is. But she gave me a gift too. You know, I got to have that feeling of accomplishment. Um, and then the other one, and people have heard me talk about this one a lot back when I was podcasting, the very first boho stickning sweater reproduction that I worked and did modifications on. First one I knit, I just followed the pattern. Second one I knit, I really modded it up heavily. I changed it from a button-up cardigan to clasps to faced fronts and little um, edged sleeves and fitted and all sorts of things to it. And that's the sweater where I knit four sleeves <laughs> because I couldn't get them right. <laughs> Halfway to an octopus. That's right. But when it finally, finally got finished, it turned out just wonderfully and it fit me perfectly. And it's been one of my favorite sweaters. So all that work really paid off. Uh, though in the moment, I can remember thinking, I'm never going to finish this. <laughs> so it's always about solving problems, I think. Solving problems and not just a mass of work. I've done plenty of projects where it's been a mass of work. But having work that I have to think about, work that I have to solve problems in, I think that's what takes it to that next level for me. And that's been not only in your knitting life, but in your work life as well. And I'm wondering if you have models or role models for taking on challenges. Ah, you know, when you'd first asked me that question, I had really thought about it in knitting but certainly that would apply um, in my work life as well. And I have to say my last boss was probably one of the greatest mentors I had for taking on big, big challenges. I worked in the sustainability area at a large food company. And you can imagine that's fraught with lots of contradictions. Uh, the board of this company wasn't necessarily the most progressive climate change fighters. They were wealthy people who had vested interests in the status quo. But I watched my boss start a project five years before he thought he would be able to complete it. He seeded the ground with education, with just just opening up eyes to possibilities, not trying to make people do things before they were ready. And as a result, he made really significant changes in not only how the company does business day to day, but in how those people thought about climate change altogether. So that idea of planning well in advance and being patient is really, really important to me. And knowing that you're going to hit snarls and setbacks and just coming back at it from another way, he was pretty impressive. That isn't, that's amazing to see oh, that yeah. he in a was boss. Awesome. He was awesome. And he was just kind of an introvert too, which just made it all that much better. He was not a big bossy kind of guy. So that was really cool. Wow. On the other side of the spectrum, sorry, Jan, not that you're bossy, <laughs> but you're much bolder. You're an, you're an extrovert. Um, in knitting, especially, and in life, Jan has certainly been a model and a mentor for me. She's the first one that popped into my mind when you asked that question, um, <laughs> both by egging me on and, you know, in our blog, when, when Jan would put up 
a project that was fantastic, I would want to try to emulate her. You know, she she's my twin, but she is my big sister too. And the little sister always wants to do what the big sister's doing. Well, not always. I do not <laughs> need to have a sheep farm. <laughs> I like visiting Jan's sheep farm. <laughs> so she was fantastic. The knitters in my monthly group were also mentors and uh, models for taking on challenges. Long ago, before I was a skilled knitter at all, I joined this group and I watched a knitter, a friend. She laid out this gorgeous fine gauge. It must have been eight stitches to the inch, cabled sweater, detailed cables throughout the sweater. And she said, it just doesn't fit right. And she started ripping the thing out. Lisa, AKA Turbo Gal, and I were in that meeting together and we were just gobsmacked, like, oh, there's a gorgeous sweater, how can you rip it out? But she ripped the whole thing out. Three months later, it reappeared, again, beautifully knit and perfectly fitting. Wow, that changed our attitudes about knitting. It was amazing. Um, likewise, going out to the state fair and seeing the knitting at the state fair early on in my knitting life, I looked at that and said, I could never knit stuff like that. But slowly over time, I approached it. And finally, you know, that sweater that I mentioned before won a blue ribbon in the state fair. So that's pretty cool. That felt pretty cool to, to see that trajectory of work. Um, and then I will say, I would encourage everybody, whatever else you do, figure out who your knitting board of directors is. Ooh. Yeah. I have a very small group of knitters that meet regularly via Zoom, and they are my knitting board of directors. The chair knitter is, of course, TurboGal, aka Lisa, and they don't hold back. They are friends who aren't nice. They are kind and good, but they are not nice. Nice. <laughs> and they will tell me, Ellen, that neckline, there's something wonky about it. Or Ellen, ah, I don't know what you're doing there with that color or whatever. And they'll encourage you to get past that inner voice that says, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And, and they provide the outer voice that says, no, not okay. Re-knit that. <laughs> So wow. find, find your board of directors, find somebody who will tell you honestly, eh, that could be tweaked. <laughs> it's worth it. That really pushes you next level. Oh yeah, it definitely does. So I know a lot of my experience with your willingness to take on challenges and also the likelihood of making mistakes and errors when you do that comes from your bitten by my knitting segment that you had on the <laughs> Twin Set Designs podcast. And I'm wondering, have you ever experienced spectacular failure and what helps sustain your persistence? <laughs> well, Sometimes what sustains your persistence is giving up, honestly. Oh, I would like to hear more about that. My most spectacular failure, or at least the one that I remember, perhaps gift recipients have other recollections, but <laughs> the one I remember was this large mint 
green sweater. It had a panel of lace that went horizontally around the hem. It was a deep panel of lace. It was knit in worsted, or maybe it was an even Aran weight. So it was not a graceful lace pattern. It was a big, chunky lace pattern. I bought the yarn on eBay. This was back in the days where color reproduction was even worse than it is today. And what I thought was a beautiful sagey green came in hospital wall green, but mm -hmm. I bought that yarn. I was going to knit it. It was pretty early on in my career. So I didn't have the judgment to know. I've got plenty of yarn that I'd like to knit. I don't have to knit this yarn. <laughs> and knitted I did. And I got well into that sweater. And the more stitches I took, the more unhappy I became with it and the sadder I became with it and the slower the progress went. And finally, somebody in my knitting group said, well, why do you keep knitting this? And I went, huh, but I can't waste this yarn. And they said, plenty of people have donated half-finished projects to a, you know, a thrift store. And I, in an instant, knew that was the answer. I donated that puppy and immediately felt enthusiastic about knitting again. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to admit it's a failure. Let's move on to the fun challenge, the next great challenge. Wow. I like that. Now, giving up on, say, repairing that bison cowl, that wouldn't have been as satisfying because then I would have been disappointing somebody. But recognizing that nobody was going to be disappointed by me giving up cheap eBay yarn. That was a much easier decision. So it's kind of that wisdom of knowing where to uh, direct your persistence. Yes, that's a good way to put it. That's a great way to put it. Sometimes the project doesn't warrant your, warrant your persistence. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be on the technical side of knitting patterns? Prob my listeners probably know, based on my comments about you over time, that you have led quite an illustrious career of working on the technical side of knitting patterns, single designs, and also for books. But I'm wondering what it's like to be on that side and if it's influenced your own knitting and crafting at all. Oh, being a tech editor has really influenced my knitting and crafting. I felt really privileged to get to do this work. I've worked with some great designers. I've worked with some folks who are just dabbling in design or maybe have one pattern out, but I was able to help them get that out. And that was very rewarding. But the best part is when you tech edit a knitting pattern, when you tech edit it well, you knit in your head or on paper every stitch of that pattern. Uh, maybe not every stitch. I skip over the swaths of stockinette or whatever. But uh, Shawl by Kirsten Kapoor, for instance, I would go through every stitch of her lace charts and think about how they related to the stitch before them and after them. I double check stitch counts. I'd look at how did this sweater fit a standard figure model? You know, if you look at craft industry standards for what a standard body is, I'd question that standard and think about 
comments I've heard from other podcasters, comments I've heard from you, frankly, I, I should include other podcasters on my mentor list. When I hear people talk about how they've modified garments, how they've modified a sweater because it didn't fit right, I'd incorporate that thinking into how this stitch count and this swatch gauge fit onto the standard. I put that in air quotes because we know there is no standard body how it would fit, that just makes you think about how the next sweater you knit for yourself is going to fit on you. Um, and honestly, it's pushed me to try techniques that I, I wasn't that interested in brioche. And then Kirsten designed this gorgeous little hat called, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to send it to you and you, you'll have to, to uh, mention it in the show notes. It's waiting for spring or about to bloom or something, something like that. Mm -hmm. Or just increasing a decreasing brioche. And it was so beautiful. And it made me think through each stitch that I had to learn brioche. Well, I had to learn it to be able to tech edit it. And then I wanted to knit it once I did that. So that was pretty cool. So yeah, tech editing has been a fabulous way to advance my knitting. And actually, people could do something like that. If you see a pattern you love, don't just buy it and let it sit on your shelf thinking you'll knit it in five or 10 years. Buy it and read it, even if you don't knit it right then and think about how those pieces fit together. And then the next sweater you knit, whether it's that pattern or another one, will go that much easier, I think. Oh, that's really good advice. It's fun too. You get, you get the experience of knitting without the hours and hours and hours of actually putting yarn to needles. I think it's a way of engaging with knitting when you may not be able to actually have the knitting in your hands, uh, yes. kind of like reading cookbooks before bed or something like that. <laughs> exactly like that. Very much your like mind that. is engaged in the process and you can use it as practice to think things through, even if you're not knitting it. That's exactly right. You can taste that yarn in your mind. I love that. When it comes to taking on new challenges, and hopefully Yarns at Yin Who listeners will be taking on the challenge of stranded donut grafting very soon, what is some advice you have for going about taking on challenges in knitting in general? The advice I'd have to give is be willing to be a little frustrated, be willing to put it down when you start to feel that frustration rise into anger and maybe don't try it at 11:30 at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also reach out, you know, if somebody starts to work with the stranded donut grafting um, and they, they hit a snag or a problem, you can find me on Ravelry on Twinset Ellen and, and I'm happy to answer questions. Um, I may not get right back to you instantly, but I'll try. Uh, so please do that. Yeah, I think it's helpful to have a buddy. Oh um, boy, howdy, is it? Mary Beth and I did our entire graft together on a Zoom call. Nice. And we took turns reading the directions out loud and then proceeding to the next part. And then there were points where we sort of got in a groove and we would be having a little conversation and, you know, just kind of catching up and then we'd, okay, we'd go back or someone would encounter a snag and we'd, we'd go back. 
and work through it. It was really good. And, and you were working with an early prototype of the instructions. So that was even more helpful. I'm sure. Yes, it was very helpful. Oh, well, great. thank you, Ellen. Thank you for sharing some wisdom and um, some of your knitting history with us today. I'm really appreciative. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, Sarah. And it's just really, really fun to have a chance to talk with you in real time instead of sending messages back and forth. I can't wait till we can give each other a hug in person. Ah, uh, I hope it's soon. Great. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview. It was certainly a delight to record it. And Ellen is such a whiz at podcasting. She speaks so clearly and carefully and is so organized with delivering her thoughts orally that it was a pleasure to mix that portion of the episode and share her thoughts with you. In terms of my own knitting progress, I am working away at my goal of completing gift knitting in November. And that way I can use December to cast on a new sweater and knit some other fun things that don't have timelines. So I had a goal of knitting three Lenny hats. The Lenny hat is a design by Isabel Kramer. I love it. I highly recommend it. All three of these hats were knit with two strands of yarn held together and there was some mohair or soft content, really fluffy content in at least one of the yarns. So I have completed all of those. I am almost done with my Musselboro hat. That's a design by Isolde Teague. I hope to do the decreases and finish that up at the pom-pom today. I've also sort of gone astray of my original plan of knitting the Gale poncho for a little briar. She knows the word moon and I'm told she's obsessed with the moon. So I thought I would try knitting her my one dark blue night hat, the one with the moon phases. I would try a child size version of that design and knit it in worsted weight yarn. So I've made a few adjustments to the pattern I've cast on and I would say I'm about a third of the way through that. Once I have this down, if I'm pleased with the result, I will certainly be writing up um, my adjustments to one dark blue night and if you have the pattern you could easily knit a child um, and quicker version of the hat because this one is knit in worsted or DK weight yarn. And finally, I've done a bit of crocheting. I had this idea that I would crochet some face scrubbies, sets of seven face scrubbies, and put them together with a beautiful soap from Mary Jane and a little lingerie bag that you could wash your face each night, toss the face scrubby in the lingerie bag, and at the end of the week, throw that in the washing machine. 
and sort of reduce waste with cotton balls and cotton pads and things like that. So I've knit so far four sets of these crochet face scrubbies and the pattern I'm using is the one Pam Maher of the Unraveled Knitting Podcast. She kind of came up with her own best face scrubby crochet pattern. It crochets up super quick and I've even done like a few modifications of it of my own to make one slightly more textured and interesting looking face scrubby and then the other six are the more plain quickly crocheted design. So I will link to Pam Maher's uh, instructions for that. They crochet up so quick. I used Knit Picks. This was my first ever Knit Picks purchase. I purchased one skein of Kotlin undyed. It's a cotton linen blend. It works great for these. With the one skein, I've already knit, crocheted. I've already crocheted four sets and I have yarn for a few more sets. That means the only thing I really have left on my Christmas knit list is the mitts for my mom, which will have a color work cuff and then a single color mitt with a rib so that they are nice and stretchy. And I plan to be casting those on at some point this week and hopefully over the Thanksgiving weekend have quite a bit of time to work on those, hopefully finish them. I have three December knits on the horizon. One is Baltian, a design by Caitlin Hunter for a sweater with color work in the yoke. I purchased the yarn at Rhinebeck and I'm very eager to cast that on. I've also thought about knitting my first ever gnome from Imagined Landscapes. I haven't decided on the pattern yet, but I just think that would be a really fun December project in the wind up for the holidays. And I also plan to cast on some Christmassy socks because I have yarn from Knit Spin Farm in the Deep Woods Solstice colorway. And I think that would be ideal knitting to get me into the Christmas spirit. So those are the three December projects on the horizon. But the really big project on the horizon is my plan to participate in the 100-day dress challenge sponsored by Wool And. Wool And is a company that makes garments. Not all, but many of them are made with merino wool. And the idea behind these garments is that they are endlessly wearable, sustain multiple uses, don't require a lot of laundering, and you could wear them day after day after day. And to help prove that point, they offer up this challenge that if you wear their dress for 100 days, you receive a $100 credit for another dress. It's an opportunity to think deeply about issues of sustainability, 
what you have in your wardrobe. For me, it's an opportunity to think about my body and how I feel in my clothing. And I'm going to start this challenge on November 26th, and it's going to take me through March 6th. I will be documenting it on Instagram. So if you don't already follow me and you're interested in what happens when someone makes the intention of wearing the same dress for 100 days straight, give me a follow on Instagram. I'm Sarah Pomegranate. I will also be posting to the usual hashtags for this challenge and linking to wool and. Throughout the challenge, I will wear a lot of knitwear, of course. So it's a good opportunity to see all the garments I've knit and some that I've sewn. Some of these are recent makes and some of them will be from a while back. Uh, So I'll certainly share the details of those in my daily posts. And I was thinking of a couple of things I could do throughout the challenge to solicit input and interaction with Instagram followers and Yarns at Yin Who listeners. So I'll have a few days of the week where I go a little more introspective about this challenge, what I'm thinking, how I'm doing. And if you'd like to join in, there will be options for you to comment and engage over the course of this 100 days. I will be taking a lot of effort in curbing my consumption during this time. I've been working hard not just to knit things for gift recipients, but to complete Christmas shopping. I do give gifts around the holidays, and I would like all of that to be done by the time I start this challenge. So November 26th is Black Friday, and it's not just in the U.S., but it's sort of like a global day of consumerism. So I'm really hoping to, you know, curb, slow down, be a lot more thoughtful with my consumption. And finally, I will be joined in this challenge by my knitting bestie, Mary Beth. She is out of this world, 808 on Instagram, and she is planning all of the things that she will be wearing with her dress as well. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this challenge. The dress I'll be wearing is the Camilla tank dress, the long version in black. It's a plain black, slightly flared tank dress, no sleeves. It has pockets and I will be pairing it with just about everything I can think of over the next 100 days. To close this episode, I'd like to share a poem with you. The poem is Thanks by W.S. Merwin. I've been familiar with this poem for a while, so it's possible that I've shared it on the podcast already. Nevertheless, I think it's a really timely choice for American Thanksgiving. This is a time when a lot of us get reflective, share feelings of gratitude, 
uh, and sort of take some time to step back from the world, be a little more observant. And I think this poem is very appropriate for that occasion. I often find and link poems from the Poetry Foundation website, but this time I am going to share a link from poets.org, and that's because there are a number of materials available on poets.org related to this poem, and you might be interested in exploring them. There's a lesson plan that's suitable for multiple grade levels. This poem was also included in a Zoom recording from the Academy of American Poets, and it's over an hour long and very close to the end. Uh, Busy Phillips reads this poem. So if you want to see and hear it read aloud on video, there's an opportunity for you to do that as well. The poem is Thanks by W.S. Merwin. Listen, with the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, thanking it, standing by the windows, looking out in our directions. Back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging, after funerals, we are saying thank you. After news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, we are saying thank you. In the faces of officials and the rich and of all who will never change, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With animals dying around us, our lost feelings, we are saying, thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying, thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying, thank you, faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying, thank you. We are saying thank you and waving, dark though it is. Mm -hmm. 